I feel that we as a church, not just us, but the church in general, we are, have been, and will continue to be in a spiritual battle. We, a lot of churches, including High Point Church, went through some difficult times last year with COVID. We are not back where we were before COVID, but we are getting back, and we will get back, and then some. But in addition to that, there's also been some spiritual battles that we have fought along the way, individually and as a church. And today, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about spiritual warfare. Specifically today, why do we need the armor? Spiritual warfare. And this is going to be a series of several weeks, probably eight weeks, unless God takes it in a different direction. And there will be some breaks in there, of course, because next Sunday I won't be preaching, but we'll pick it back up the following Sunday. If you have been around church for very long, especially High Point Church, you have without a doubt heard Bible studies and sermons on the subject of the full armor of God or the whole armor of God. And while we might think, and, and it's, it's not anything wrong to think this, I've heard that a thousand times. Why do I need to hear this again? I don't think we can be and that doesn't mean we let our guard down and then think, well, it's just a person. What can they possibly do to me? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that often they are being influenced by a power that is greater than they are. So be careful. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Walk away if you must, but don't forget that the devil is the real enemy, not people. That was the case in the Apostle Paul's day when he wrote the book of Ephesians, and it's still the case today. With that, I want to go to Ephesians chapter 6 and read verses 10 through 12. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that was located in Ephesus, hence the name Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Remember what I said a minute ago? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I love the way that Paul starts verse 10. He says, finally. The message translation says this. And that about wraps it up. It seems that Paul was getting to wrap, beginning to wrap up all that he had said in the previous five and a half chapters of the book of Ephesians. And as he closes out chapter 6, we see that is exactly what he does. And as he nears the end of this letter to the people at the church of Ephesus, he challenges his readers to open their eyes and be aware of the spiritual warfare in which they, they had been and still were engaged. He calls to them to be sure that they're on the right foundation. Make sure that they're wearing the right spiritual garments, that they are fighting the right enemies and trusting the right Lord. Verses 10 through 18 are a, a, is a statement about the specifics of spiritual warfare. And we might not always think about it or recognize it, but the truth is, and I will say it again, we are in a constant state of spiritual warfare. We as the people of God 
face some very real and very powerful enemies in the world. And despite what some folks might say, there is a being called Satan or the devil. He is real and he controls evil, an evil kingdom of demonic forces. Jesus himself dealt with them. He spoke to them and he rebuked them. So that's enough for me to believe they're real. Satan and his demons are doing everything they can to undermine the work of the Lord in the world. And since the devil doesn't show up wearing a a red suit and carrying a pitchfork, a lot of people refuse to believe that he's real. Well, I saw in a cartoon that he was, you know, had these horns and this red suit and a tail. And since he doesn't show up like that, they go, well, he must not be real. They are used to that cartoon or movie version of the devil when most of the time it's other people that carry out his work. The devil and his demons are doing all they can to defeat and discourage the people of God. The devil and his demons are doing all they can to hinder the church, the body of Christ. They're doing all they can to see that we, the people of God, fail in our mission to live for God and to bring him glory. Here's some things we can be sure of. The enemies we face are powerful. The battles we fight are real. And the cost of defeat is far higher than what we realize. You say, well, that sounds awfully negative, Pastor. Let me throw a but in here. But here is a positive truth. In the middle of those seemingly negative statements... The glories of victory are far more wonderful than what we can even imagine. Amen. This passage in Ephesians that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks tells us how to avoid failure and how to achieve success in the spiritual battles that we fight in life. This passage lets us know how we are to conduct ourselves in the spiritual warfare that rages around us and sometimes even within us. This passage speaks of of how the warfare we fight and the spiritual power we need, that we have to have these things if we're going to be victorious in living the Christian life. If we are going to be victorious in the spiritual battles that we face, we are going to have to have spiritual power. And that sounds great, right? Well, I'd love to have that. It sounds simple. And it sounds like something we can all get excited about, right? But the truth is, none of us possess spiritual power on our own. In and of ourselves, we are weak. We are foolish creatures who are prone to failure. And in and of our own power, when it comes to fighting spiritual battles, if we do it on our own, we're going to be on the losing side. If we hope to be victorious in spiritual battles, we must have spiritual power. Verse 10 tells us where that spiritual power originates. The first thing Paul tells us in this passage is be strong in the Lord. The word strong as it's used here means to be be empowered, to be strengthened. The word that Paul used here was also uh, used in speaking of a seriously ill patient who was recovering from a debilitating illness. It's the picture of someone who is weak being made strong. Sounds like what we need, right? On our own, we are no match for the devil. We are weak creatures. 
We are weak in our thinking. We are weak in our spirits. We are weak when it comes to temptation and sin. And we are weak in our ability to control our own will. You say, you're a pastor. You shouldn't say stuff like that. It's true. On our own, that's what we are. The strength that we need, the strength that we must have to walk in victory in the battles of life will never come from in us. The strength that we need only comes from the Lord. And this verse intentionally and specifically says, be strong in the Lord. That means that any spiritual strength that we can ever hope for and ever hope to possess must come from him. More and more I find myself going back to a passage found in Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2. I like the way the message translation says it. It says, I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from the mountains? No. My strength comes from God who made heaven and earth and the mountains. Spiritual power can only be ours through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That means that just as we trust Jesus, his death and his resurrection to save us, we must also trust him to give us the spiritual power that we need so desperately to fight spiritual battles. Just as we need his righteousness to enter into heaven, we need his power if we're going to be able to stand against the attacks that we will face in life. Just as we need his blood to take away our sins, we need his power to defeat Satan. If you try to do it on your own, you're not going to win. So first of all, Paul tells us to be strong in the Lord. And then more specifically, he says, in his mighty power. The word power refers to dominion. It speaks of, of the ability to complete and perfect something. The, the word might has the idea of force and strength. It speaks of someone who possesses absolute authority. And these two words describe the kind of power we need if we're going to experience victory in the spiritual battles we face. So how do we get this power? We get it the same way that our sins have been forgiven. We get it the same way that we are given his righteousness when we're saved. We get it the same way we are saved. We get it simply by trusting him and not ourselves. And be assured, if we try to, say it again, if we try to stand against Satan and his forces in our own power, we will fail. But if we can learn to lean on the Lord, confess our own weaknesses, and place our faith in his power alone, we can and will be victorious. One of the truths that Paul wrote about time and time again is that when we are saved, that we are one in, with Jesus Christ. That means his life becomes our life. It means his truth becomes our truth. His way becomes our way. His power, this is important, his power becomes our power. And his strength becomes our strength. Here's what I think we tend to forget. When Jesus died on the cross, this is important. Stay with me here. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, 
He defeated Satan and all his works. That's already done. Yes, we will fight some battles. We cannot expect to just get saved and sit back and coast through life until we get to heaven. So there will be some battles. But the outcome of this war has already been decided. And Jesus has already won it. Now follow me here. So when we fight the daily battles, the the ones we fight and we will all fight from time to time, when we fight those daily battles, we are not fighting for victory because victory has already been won. Some of y'all didn't believe that. We are not fighting for victory because victory has already been won. So with that said, what we have to do is make sure that we're on the right side of the battle. And with that in mind, a lot of folks just need to pick a side. Still true. We will never win this battle if we can't even decide which side we're on. Well, I want to be on Jesus' side on Sunday. But Friday rolls around, and I kind of like being over here. No. Pick a side. We We cannot win a battle if we can't even decide which side we're on. But if we can come to the place where we understand that Jesus has already defeated Satan, and that if we are in Jesus Christ and we are partakers of his victory, it will help us to walk in that victory in the day-to-day battles that we face. We are not trying to win the war. We're fighting battles. The war has already been won. When we feel like we have nothing left within us, we continue to fight Not through our own power, not through our own might, but through the power that is in us through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Unfortunately, too many times we just try to do it on our own. And when that happens, we fail miserably. We continue to fail until we get to that place to where maybe we finally say, okay, God, I can't do it anymore. And then when we allow God to fight the battle through us, when that happens, We realize victory. So if we know that's the sequence of events, why not just trust in him up front and win the battle and stop getting beat up? Someone's saying, well, he sounds like he's lived that. I have this week. You see, this is nothing new. There was a time in the Apostle Paul's life when, when he asked God three times to take away a problem that had been plaguing him. And God said no three times. And then God told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, here's what he said. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When we can realize that we are weak, but he is strong, that's when we'll find victory. If there is any spiritual power any spiritual strength, any spiritual ability, spiritual victory, it must come from him. So again, let me ask the question, how do we get this power? It comes from being in Jesus. When we are in Jesus by faith, saved by his grace, we become, automatically become partakers in his power, in his strength, and in his ability.
True spiritual power will not come to us because we think we're strong. It will only come to those who are actually strong in the Lord. The source of our spiritual strength is Jesus Christ. And his power is only given to those who have a faith relationship with him. If you're not saved, if you're not living for Jesus, don't expect to go out and fight spiritual battles and win. Because you're not in Jesus. And it's only when we're in Jesus Christ that we have that power. These verses should remind us that we are foolish when we trust in ourselves and in our own power. It should remind us that we are foolish if and when we think we can fight the devil, his demons, sin, temptation, the world, and all the enemies that come along in our own strength. It should remind us that we're foolish when we think we can handle it on our own. We must realize if we try to do it on our own, we will be defeated. We need to make sure that our trust is not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ, who has promised us his power. And he has promised victory to his people. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But thanks be to God who always leads in triumphal procession in Christ. Romans 8.37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 1 Corinthians 15.57 says, But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Time and time again. Paul wrote that the victory is not within ourselves. It is in God through Jesus Christ. As Paul continues this line of thinking, he teaches us the truth that when we are on the Lord's side, it is only then that we are able to stand against the enemies who stand against God and stand against us. In verse 11, Paul breaks this down so we can better understand the process. So what are we fighting against? Paul said we're fighting against the devil's schemes. The, the King James Version says against the wiles of the devil. And both of these phrases identify our enemy and how he works. We are told that our enemy is the devil. And hopefully we know that by now, but just in case, Paul's making it clear. We'll talk more about the devil a little bit later, but for now, let me say that he is the enemy of God, which makes him an enemy of us if we are followers of Christ. The devil stands against everything that God stands for. He hates God. He wants nothing more to destroy God and install himself as Lord of all. That's how he got thrown out of heaven. According to the Bible, the devil is the source of evil. There was a time when, when Satan determined he could be a god, or he could be God, or take his place, that he would exalt himself above the throne of the one true God. If you go back to Isaiah 14, you read that Satan was defeated and cast out of heaven along with a large group of angels. And those fallen angels are now his followers, his demons. And Satan is still doing all he can to try to dethrone God and rob God of his glory. That's who our enemy is. 
He is ancient. He is powerful. He is deceptive. And he is experienced. I've been around for 75 years. He's been around since the beginning of time on earth. He has been attacking, deceiving, and defeating the people of God all, all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And if you think you can beat him on your own, you're in for a sad defeat. Or worse yet, you are in for complete and total destruction. You go, well, I just don't know. Stay with me. The devil's bold. Remember this. When Jesus was in the wilderness fasting, it was the devil who appeared to Jesus Christ and tried to cut a deal. He said, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. He was talking to Jesus, God in the flesh, God with skin on, this same devil that comes at us and tries to tempt us, he tried the same thing on God in the flesh. So if the devil tried to tempt Jesus himself over and over, do we really think that he won't take continual shots at us? Well, I had, we had a great service in church and we defeated the devil. No. He's still there. And too many times we get to thinking that, and then we get out, and the next week we think that we defeated him last Sunday in church, and he clobbers us. It's not the way it works. He has not been defeated other than Jesus Christ defeated him. The victory's won, but we still fight some battles now. And if you think you can just go out and do it on your own, it ain't going to happen, y'all. There's Christians who still dabble in witchcraft, who dabble in the occult, who, if you ask them what kind of movies they like, it's the ones that are demonic in nature. You go, well, pastor, now you're meddling. No, I'm not. If that's the kind of stuff you're feeding your mind, don't be surprised when you get whipped. The devil has had thousands of years to practice. He knows what he's doing. And I'm not saying these things to give him the glory. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply telling the truth about our enemies so that we can be prepared for the attacks. The best way to be ready is to know who your enemy is. Paul said that God will give us the power to stand against the wiles of the devil or to stand against his schemes. The word wiles or schemes comes from the root that gives us the word methods. Satan's methods have proven to be successful. Successful at deceiving people for thousands of years. The word wiles or schemes as it's used here speaks of a wild animal that silently or cunningly stalks its prey and then unexpectedly pounces on it and devours it. Sound familiar? 
It should because 1 Peter 5.8 says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It does not say that the devil walks around seeking someone to poke with his pitchfork and annoy. No. And he doesn't sit on our shoulder and there's a good one and a bad one and they fight among themselves. No. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, destroy, obliterate. Satan has always been and always will be a scheming liar. And he's still looking for someone to destroy. Well, I don't know if I believe in all this devil stuff. You know what? That's your choice, but it doesn't change reality. Let me tell you a quote by Pastor J.D. Greer. He said this concerning the devil. He said, he is not after your recognition. He's after your destruction. He's not in the world to try to get you to believe in him. He's in the world to destroy you. That's his only purpose. You might recognize this quote from a movie, an old, old movie, The Usual Suspects, but it's still true. In the movie, someone says this, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. In fact, Revelation 12.9 describes the devil as the one who leads the whole world astray. And I believe the most successful way that he accomplishes that is by convincing people that he doesn't exist. What better way to win a battle than to make your enemy think that you don't even exist? Paul says in order for us to win this fight, we must put on the whole armor of God. This is going to be our focus over the next several weeks. We're not going to go into specifics today on each piece of armor because, again, that's what we're going to cover over the next several weeks. But today, as a foundation for those specifics, I want to make sure that we understand that God has equipped us for the spiritual battles we face by giving us this armor. Every piece of this armor is designed to protect the people of God from the attacks of the enemy, the devil. Today, I want us to take away some specific words from verses 10. Three of those words are this, armor, full, and put on. It's actually four words. Two words and a phrase. Armor, full, and put on. The word armor refers to the equipment that God has provided for us to wear in our day-to-day battles. And we're going to go through these real quickly. There's truth to wear as a belt. There is righteousness to protect our heart. There are shoes to protect our feet. There is a shield to deflect the arrows of the enemy. There is a helmet to protect our head. And there is a sword in which to engage the enemy. All of these things have been provided to every believer so that they might walk in victory. Not just the super spiritual people, not just the people that have been living for God for over 25 years. Every person who is a believer, who has trusted Christ for salvation, who has been born again, has access to each of these and all of these. And I say all of these because the phrase full armor suggests that every piece of this armor of God is essential if we are to endure victory over the enemy. We can't just put on a few pieces. 
and then leave a few pieces off and expect to achieve success and win the battles that we will fight. No. We must wear every piece all the time, and if we don't, we will be attacked and eventually we'll be defeated. Because once we're out in the battle, it's too late to go, boy, I sure wish I'd have brought my sword with me. Whew, am I missing that sword right about now? No. A lot of people have tried throughout the years to just carry around a piece here and there. It doesn't work. Whether it is confidence in ourselves that causes us to do that, or maybe it's an underestimation of who the devil is. It doesn't really matter. Because the truth is, we need the full armor of God if we want to be victorious. That's why Paul said, put on the full armor of God. The phrase put on is in a tense that suggests that when we put on the full armor of God, we put it on once and for all. In other words, we don't just put it on, we leave it on. Figuratively speaking, it means we don't leave it hanging in the closet thinking that I'll get it when I need it. No, be assured that you need it all the time. It's not like a winter coat. What Paul was saying here is that when we dress for spiritual battle, that we dress for spiritual battle and we leave the uniform on because we need to be constantly dressed and ready for spiritual warfare at any time. Why is that so important, Pastor? Because the devil doesn't take days off. He doesn't go on vacation. And that means that every day we live is to be spent on the front line of battle, engaging the enemy in a spiritual battle. Well, I don't like that story. It scares me. It should. It should scare us enough to say, you know what? The Bible tells me what I need to do. It tells me who the devil is, and it tells me that I can be victorious. If I will do these things, then we should just do them and know we can be victorious. We don't have to live our lives in constant fear. Instead, it means we don't have to be afraid because God has given us everything we need to fight the battles that we will face. Still, it's up to us to wear the armor that we've been given. It's up to us to put it on. It's up to us to leave it on. And it is up to us to make sure that every piece remains in place. And if we don't obey God's command and wear the armor as he has provided, we have no one to blame but ourselves when we suffer defeat. Next, let's look at the rest of verse 10 and the phrase, so that you can take your stand. So that you can take your stand. Through the Lord and what he provides, we are able to stand when we face battles. The King James Version says, so that you may be able to stand. We can take our stand, or we are able to stand, not through our own power, but through the work of God in our lives. His power, His power gives us the ability to stand. The word stand, as it's used here, is used as a military to, uh, term. It means to hold a critical position 
during a time of enemy attack. It's not really the image of someone going forward in battle, but rather it's the picture of a soldier that's on the defensive, protecting the ground that's already been won. This is how far I made it, and I ain't going back. I'm going to take a stand, and I will stand. For us, this phrase suggests that our enemy, the devil, wants to take away what we've been given. We've made it this far, and he wants to put us back there. He wants to take away what we know to be truth. He wants to take away our testimonies. He wants to take away our churches. He wants our families, our relationships. He wants to do whatever he can to take away our spiritual power. I will tell you in short, he wants to take away and destroy everything that God has given us. But know this, God is able through his power to enable us to stand against the attack of the enemy. He can enable us to stand and protect everything that we have been given. Because if we are wearing the full armor of God, when Satan attacks, we are made able to stand. We don't have to give ground. We don't have to be defeated. And we do not have to lose the battles that we fight in life. Let's go back and look at Jesus when he was tempted by the devil back in Matthew chapter 4. In that passage, Satan was the one who was on the offensive. Jesus merely stood on the word of God. He stood on it, and he refused to yield. He stood. The devil was persistent in his offensive game, but Jesus had the best defense. Over and over, he used this, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you read through that story of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, time and time and time again, when the devil would say something, what would Jesus do? He would quote scripture. If you come to me about a spiritual problem, I can tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to quote scripture. If it's good enough for Jesus, it better be good enough for me. And I will tell you this, God will enable us to do the same thing, but as I said so many times, we can't use something we don't have. We cannot use the Word of God as a sword if we don't even know what the Word of God says. I'm out here in the middle of battle and I don't even have a sword. Ooh, this is not going to end well. Let me look that back. Oh, no, it said the Word of God was my sword. I don't know much about the Word of God. wonder why. That's why it's one more reason for attending Bible study. You know how it's going to work that in, didn't you? One more reason for attending Bible study if we want to grow in our Christian walk and live an overcoming life.
some people put more effort into preparing for a hurricane that might hit once every few years than they do in preparing for an everyday battle with the devil who wants to destroy not just them, but their entire family. Be faithful to church. Come to Bible study. Get in the word yourself. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. Pray for your pastor. If you can tell me more details on your favorite Netflix series, then you can tell me details on the Word of God. Your priorities are wrong. Nothing wrong with Netflix. Don't leave out of here and say, Pastor David's preaching against Netflix. No, he's not. Balance, folks. If you've been binge-watched some series on Netflix, but you've never binge-read the Bible, something's out of balance. And we'll move on. Jesus said this to the church at Thyatira in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. He said, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. He said, the only thing that I'm going to ask you to do, in fact, the only thing I'm going to just absolutely insist you do is to hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on to what God has given you. Whether it seems like it's a lot or it seems like it's a little, Hold on to what you have. Fight the battle. Not on your own, but through the ability that you have been given through Jesus Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit using the armor that God has provided to each and every one of us. We can't do it in ourselves. We can't do it in our own power. But in referencing a very familiar passage of Scripture... We can do all things. We can be victorious through the one who gives us strength. I don't say these things today to hurt anyone's feelings. But if at some point you had to say, ouch, I'm okay with that. If it will make you rethink what we're all up against. Well, Pastor, I've never heard anybody preach this kind of stuff before. Maybe that's the problem. I could stand here and 
and preach sunshine and lollipops and unicorns and happy, happy. God wants you to be rich. Everybody might leave laughing and feeling good about themselves. But if you do that and you leave here feeling good about yourself and you don't have on the armor of God and you're not even interested in putting on the armor of God and you go out the next week and the devil absolutely kicks your butt spiritually, what have I done? I have failed miserably as a pastor. And so I stand here today saying that it is real and we will all face spiritual battles and you will not win if you try to do it on your own. But if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, if you will put on the whole armor of God, the things that we're going to be talking about one at a time over the next several weeks, if you will do that, the Bible says that we will be victorious. That's not my guarantee. That guarantee comes straight from the Word of God. And I want to see you be victorious. I am tired of seeing the devil kick around people who call themselves followers of Christ. And I think the biggest reason that happens is because we just leave the full armor of God hanging in the closet thinking, I'll come get it when I need it. And if that's what you do, you won't have it when you need it. So over the next several weeks, could we purpose that we will be here and we will, we will study, we'll, we'll, we'll listen and take these things to heart? Because I promise you if we will do that, we will come out of this stronger individually, and as a church, in the things that matter, and that's the spiritual things. Would you stand this morning? If you have never even made a start to live for Christ, today's a good day. It's simple as coming to Christ and saying, I'm a sinner, I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins on a cross, and I believe that your blood will wash away my sins. And the Bible says that if we will come to him in repentance, not just, I'm sorry, but true repentance, which means change direction, and that's we're headed the wrong way, we're headed that way, and we say, now I'm going to head this way. If we will do that, the Bible says that our sins are forgiven and that they are never to be remembered to us again. And now this is simple, and I say it all the time, but that means if you come to Jesus the next day and you say, Lord, I need to talk to you about that thing I did back in March of 1999. You remember that? He's going to go, no, I don't. I don't. Don't hold that against you anymore. It's gone. If it's under the blood of Jesus, it's done. If you've never been baptized, we can baptize you. It's not magic water. It's just water. But the Bible talks about being baptized out of obedience. It's an outward sign of an inward profession. You ought to be baptized if you've never been baptized. And then if you will 
attend church on a regular basis, come to Bible study. We've started a, a Bible study series on discipleship. Someone said recently, well, Pastor David doesn't care about anything but getting people to repent and baptize. Well, since the Bible says that's how we're saved, I'm kind of big on that. I don't apologize for that. But he never talks about discipleship. Well, we just started an eight-week class on discipleship on Wednesday nights. Here's your chance. Discipleship. Be one, make one. That's the title of it. There's a lot of good stuff going on, folks. I'm seeing growth spiritually in people. We are seeing things happen. You say, well, I don't see this place full. It's not yet. But we'll get back to that. We will. It has been before. We'll see it again. But if you're here today and you have never repented, would you come as we sing? Somebody will meet you down here and pray with you. Maybe you've, you're not where you'd like to be in your walk. And you want to come and rededicate your life. This altar's open. No matter where you are in your walk with Christ, one thing I can tell you, you can be closer than where you are today. It is a progressive thing. And one of the things that is really important to us at High Point Church is that we help you reach that high point with your, in your walk with Christ. So as we sing, would you come?